Book of Luke chapter 17, book of Luke chapter 17, and we're going to begin at verse 11 and go to the verse 19, and uh, I want to be on time and honor your time for coming out to church tonight, so I will preach for 26 minutes. No, I'm hungry. I'm not really thinking about you, I'm thinking about me. Uh, I haven't eaten anything all day. And uh, yeah, feel sorry for me, that's right. And, uh, and so uh, I have no energy, but no, we'll be okay. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. And the Bible says, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Somebody say Samaria and Galilee. Now, why do you all sound Australian when you're American? That's just, it's crazy, right? And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. Somebody say 10 lepers. Yeah, I love this. Who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show. Somebody say go and show. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, go and show. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, you better not go and show. Just tell him that. You better not. <laughs> go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed or healed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with what kind of a voice? Uh, he must have been a C3 right there. Amen. Praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus Christo's feet. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Should I preach in Spanish? Oh, we got one Hispanic here. Praise the Lord. Amongst all these gringos, praise God. In case you don't know, I'm married to a gringo. All right. Oh, and she's really white. She's not... She's like night light white. You know, there's night lights that are just bright white. Yeah, the other night I said, when do we got to go to sleep? Cover yourself. It's too bright. And she was here. She'd be laughing on the front row saying, uh-huh, he's right. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell, at the, fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Giving him thanks. Now, he was, now it's interesting. I, I want you to just point out some things here. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? This outcast? This non-religious person? Not attached to Judaism or the law? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Another translation says, your faith has made you whole. I want to talk to you on a topic tonight very briefly. And here's the title of the message. Go and see. Somebody say go and see. It's going to be really good. How do you know? Because I'm preaching it. It's that good. You know, you know, there's certain messages you feel good about. I feel good about this one. Amen. Father, thank you that I get to preach to the greatest people on the planet. Thank you, Lord God, I'm honored and never take it for granted 
that for some reason, Lord, you've allowed me to speak on your behalf. Now, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, I don't pray you speak to them. I pray that you'd speak to us. Even as I'm preaching, God, speak to me. Change me. Make me more like Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 As you read the scripture as we read uh, tonight, this is an intriguing scripture because it is, I think, one of the famous scriptures in the Bible. When Jesus meets these ten lepers, these ten men. And as Jesus begins to go, the Bible says that he was on his way to Jerusalem. It says that Jesus was passing by, and the Bible actually says that he was going between Samaria and Galilee. So Jesus is entering his last part of his ministry, and he's going now to Jerusalem to fulfill the mission and destiny that God the Father sent him on the planet to do. He was coming to redeem you, to redeem me. He was coming to live a perfect life for those of us that don't live a perfect life. He was now going to do everything right so that when we put our trust and hope in him, we are made righteous with God, not based on our performance, but based on our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, in case you wonder where I stand with the grace thing, I'm a radical gracist. I'm a gracist to the nth degree because we are saved by grace. Amen. See, if, if you actually think, well, I got to be good enough and, and I'm going to actually do all these good things so that God could finally look at me and say, okay, you've been good enough. You've missed the point because none of us could be good enough. None of us could be holy enough. So that's why Jesus came. Because Jesus lived a holy life. Jesus lived a perfect life. And so when we look to him, his righteousness is accredited to us when we put our faith in him. So Jesus now is going and, and he's going. But I love this because the text says that Jesus was passing between uh, Samaria and Galilee. I love it because he was right in the middle of two worlds. He was right in the middle between the Jew and the Gentile. He was walking right in between. I still believe that Jesus loves to be right in the middle of everything that's happening. See, some of you think, well, I don't think he's in the middle of my life because my life isn't really going in the right direction. No, he likes to be right in the middle of the mess. He likes to be right in the middle of everything that's going great. We have a God that says, no, I'm not some distant God. I want to be right in the middle of your life. I still believe Jesus is still the one that is in the middle. He is our mediator. For the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, that we have now a God-man, Christ Jesus, who is the mediator, the go-between between us and God. Jesus is always walking between the outcast and the religious. Jesus always wants to be in the middle of your life and in my life. And as he's going and he's right in the middle, the Bible says something very interesting. It says that now he was met by ten lepers. These men now have this disease called leprosy. And in Jesus' day, it was a disease that would begin slowly in your body and would begin now to literally eat away at your appendages. And if the leprosy continued to uh, 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 progress 
you would end up losing your fingers and your nose and your ears, and you become disfigured. And now these men, notice, they're defined by their affliction. They're defined by their issue. Because when they were born, it wasn't, oh, Johnny Leper, Benny Leper. No, they had a name. They had an identity. But what happens now is that they're simply known by their affliction. They're known by their issue. And their identity has been swallowed up, watch me now, by their issues. Now, here's something very significant. If you allow your issues to become your identity, what happens now is you begin to manage your life, not live your life. And so... So people now say, well, you know what happened to me, you know, uh, my marriage didn't work out or, or this is what happened to me. And people begin to identify their lives by their issue. And so we learn to manage our life and just manage it. Jesus did not come and he didn't declare, I've come to give you a, a managed life and manage it more abundantly. No, he says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Listen. You're not a junkie. You're not a failure. You're not a divorcee. You do not identify yourself by your issue. You identify yourself by who you are in Christ. Yeah. I was talking with somebody and she says, you know, Pastor, I'm going to be known as a divorcee. Who's going to want a divorcee? Because her marriage isn't working out. There's biblical grounds for this. And, and I had to look at her and I say, no, no, no. You are not identified by what you do. You're identified by whose you are. And you begin to see this weight lift off. Well, you know, I, 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 I used to do this. And that's what you used to do. It's who you are now. These ten lepers, they're there and something begins to happen with these ten lepers. Because these ten lepers represent two things. Number one, they're undeserving. Number two, they're unlikely. These ten lepers had this slow eating disease that discouraged, uh, discouraged them and disfigured them. In fact, back in Jesus' day, some rabbis taught that if you had leprosy, God had cursed you. You had done something to bring this upon yourself. Now think about this. If you actually believe that lie... Why would you even come to God? See, don't believe the present modern-day lie that God's against you, that all the bad things happen is because God's cursing you, and that God is somehow, no, no, God doesn't use tragedy and affliction and cancer and all that to get your attention. He sent his son to get your attention. They are an undeserving group. God is not going to help you. Help yourself. They're an unlikely crowd because, watch me, they are now traveling together, watch, as a group. You say, well, so what? Well, they're actually living under the old covenant. See, the old covenant said that if you're a leper, you actually had to travel by yourself. According to the book of Leviticus, look it up later yourself, in Leviticus 13, 46, the law said they should live alone, 
They should be isolated. They should walk around by themselves. But this is an unlikely crowd. Not only are they breaking the law by traveling together, all ten of them, but notice they're so unlikely that they have Jews and a Samaritan traveling together. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. I mean, this was racism upon racism upon racism. But it's interesting that a common problem will bring together uncommon people. Yeah. Remember when September 11th hit? No longer we were Democrats or Republicans. We weren't black or white or brown. We were Americans. Why? Why? Because when you have a, a problem, you have this common problem, unlikely people are drawn together. Yeah, that's why I love it when somebody gets radically saved because they're usually hanging out with people that have similar problems. And then you go back and you say, hey, I got some good news. What? I met Jesus. So these guys, watch, this is incredible because the Lord began to give me some insight and I begin to study this out and I'm saying, wait a second, God, they're, they're not supposed to be together like this. They're supposed to be by themselves and yet they are breaking the law. But not only that, these guys not only break that one law, they break another law. Because what happens is, is that now, watch this, when you were a leper and you went walking by yourself, but they're not, there's 10 of them. And now there's Samaritan and Jew. When you went according to the law, you would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. In other words, religion will teach you to keep declaring your problem over and over and over and over and over again. So they're supposed to go around, unclean, unclean. So somebody told me recently, they said, they, they said, hey, how come you don't preach about sin a lot? You're in Vegas. You got to preach against sin. I go, last time I found out, San Diego has sin. Even Kansas, come on, has sin. So, so, so here's my take on that. Most people know that their life is out of order. I don't need to tell a junkie that he's a junkie. He already knows he's a junkie. Let me say it to you this way. This morning in church, we had a great weekend at our church, and, and, and I said, I know some of you are wondering, Pastor, well, how come you don't talk more about sin? Because somebody in my church said, you need to talk more about sin. So I asked him, okay, what sin do you want me to talk on? Oh, the one that you don't struggle with. So you want me to talk about X, Y, Z, but you have envy? bitterness, gossip, right? So it got real quiet in my church. I said, let me, let me explain it to you this way. Um, imagine I was a doctor, and all I did every time you came and heard me talk was talk about how bad cancer was and how bad this disease was and this disease, this, and all you heard was disease, disease, disease. You would walk out discouraged, like with no hope. I said, so, so what, what, what would be better is, is I begin to talk about the antidote, the cure for every one of that stuff that you're dealing with. My job is to point out the issues in your life. My job is to tell you there's an answer. Come on, C3, and his name is Jesus. Come on, C3, 
His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, right? So I love these guys. I, I love them because they're like, you know what, religion? You couldn't help us. Forget you. I know I should be by myself, but I need some homies. Oh, I'm not in the right. Sorry. I need some surfing buddies. Orale, I need some homies with me. Right? No, seriously. I love these guys because they're rebelling. They're tired of religion because religion could not help them. What religion did was relegated them to their present condition. See, here's what religion does. It keeps pointing out your present condition but gives you no future position. What Jesus does is, hey, I know where your future, uh, what your present condition is, but when you come meet me and I begin to do something in your life, I'm going to give you a better future position. I'm not just going to focus on your present condition. I love this because now I'm at, they're saying, they're saying, instead of unclean, unclean, they're saying, Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, have mercy on us. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Old covenant, unclean, unclean, unclean. New covenant, mercy, mercy, mercy. Now, these men have met Jesus. And now what they experience is mercy. Even though we deserve judgment, even though we deserve a hell, and even though we deserve alienation from God, that's not what God gives us. God gives us mercy. Come on, God gives us grace. When we turn to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I turn from my old lifestyle, and I look to you, Lord, I receive salvation. I don't earn it. I freely receive forgiveness, come on, of all my sins. I receive, God, this incredible gospel that you have given to us that I'm saved by grace. Well, well wait a second. If, if you really believe that, then, then it's going to make me live the way I want to live and do whatever I want to do. Contrary. Because when you recognize and respond to all that Jesus has done, you now realize that he is a God that has done so much for you that now I want to live in a way that pleases him. Yeah. So they come to Jesus. Now it's going to get really good. And now Jesus, when he sees them, what does Jesus do? He saw their present condition but declared their future position. He saw them in their disease, but he said these words, go and show yourself to the priest. Now watch. I'm going to give you some of you a lesson. Go back in the Old Covenant, book of Exodus, Leviticus. And what happens is, is that if you now found a discoloration on your skin, they have multiple steps for you to go through. And if now the priest declared you to have leprosy, right? So what would happen is they would isolate you. That's why you, can't, you couldn't be with anybody else. You're by yourself. You have to cry out, unclean, unclean. Now watch, the Old Testament priest had no ability to heal leprosy. He only had the ability to recognize it. Religion has no power to heal your sin. 
It just recognizes it over and over again. Now, here's something very powerful. Because Jesus now tells them to do something that is so contrary to everything they've learned. What does he say? He says, I want you now to go and show yourself to the priest. Now, watch me. Because i got 14 minutes. Watch this. So, Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest. So, Jesus saying, go and see. Old covenant is see and go. Okay? And the old covenant, you would not go until you saw. And then you would go. You say, well, what, what, is that, is that, yeah, it is really true. Because watch me, how about this prophet that he's praying and he finally sees a cloud the size of a man's hand. When he sees that, that's when he goes. I can use all kinds of illustrations in the old covenant. But somebody said to me, well, what about Abraham? Exactly. Abraham lived 400 years before the law. Abraham is the father of faith. So when God speaks to Abraham, he tells Abram, Abram, I want you to go and I will show you a land that I'm about to give you. God, I feel something. So imagine if you're Abraham and he comes back to his wife, Sarah. Yeah, I just heard God. What do you say? He says, it's time to leave. Where are we going? Don't know. What do you mean, don't know? Don't know. Were you going to ask for directions? I know you're a man. You never ask for directions. <laughs> some, of you, you, some of you women miss that. I know you're a man, and you never ask for directions. Are you going to ask for directions? No, no, no. No, think, think about this. This is crazy. Imagine somebody came up to you and says, hey, it's time for you to move. Your first question is, where, where, where are we going to move to? Because we are wired to want to know where we're going. Because it, 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 it takes out the faith factor. But if you have to actually listen and begin to go, even though you don't know where you're going, Abraham goes, we're going to go. We're going to take off. And all I know is God showed me, said to me, I will show you a great land. Now, I think the greatest person of faith in this discussion between Abraham and Sarah was Sarah. Because Abraham heard God's voice. She was listening to her husband's voice. She had to have faith that her husband heard from God. I want to say, I want to say this, listen. All you women and all you great men here, man, it's going to take faith. Because God gave me a prophetic word for C3. Yeah. Where you're about ready to go, you don't even know. No, it's bigger, it's greater, it's more expansive. God, no, seriously. So, but I'm not going to say that. Yeah. So what happens is, watch, in the old covenant, it's I see and then I go. Abraham, 400 years before the law, says, you know what? I'm going to go. And the Bible says that as Abraham went, God was about ready to show him everything. You see, we are men and women. We are children of Abraham. 
We are people of faith. Can I hear an amen to that? We are people that say, God, all I need to do is just hear your voice. God, I don't need to figure it out. I don't need to know all the, all, the, all the steps. I don't need to know exactly where I'm going. All I need to know, God, is that you're calling me to go somewhere, and I trust as I am going, you will show exactly where I am going to. Yeah. But here's what happens. I think a lot of New Covenant Christians sometimes begin to live life Old Covenant. It's like, well, if it's really God, then, then I got to see something. No, you don't, because you'll never see anything if you don't believe first. Well, I believe in God when he, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. God says begin to move, and then you'll begin to see. Let me take a New, New, New Testament, John chapter 2. First healing, first miracle of Jesus, right? Turning water into wine. It was fermented. It was actually alcohol. Sorry, my AG brothers. Assembly God people. Oh, it was grape juice. No, it wasn't. It was the good stuff. It was $1,000 a bottle. Hey, you don't believe me? I'll, I'll prove it to you in just a minute here. Jesus shows up to a wedding. Jesus' first miracle indicates the character of God. That when the wine is run out, when joy is run out, when the party is stopped, God comes back in. Because God loves a party. God loves joy. God loves energy. God loves his people to rejoice. Come on, C3. So, okay. So, it's interesting that when Jesus shows up to the wedding, it says that the wine ran out. Jesus has 12 disciples. They show up, and the mother of Jesus say, Jesus, the wine has run out. Jesus said, man, my time has not come yet. And, and, and all of a sudden now, the mother says, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Now, that's a whole other message right there, right? Because Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. So when Jesus said, it's not my time yet, the Father says, it's not your time yet. But the mother must have stopped talking to Jesus and said, I'm going to go talk to your dad. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a good message. Anyway, so Jesus turns to these, these guys, right, and he says, uh, he said, fill the water pots up with, with, uh, water pots with water, but we need wine. Fill them up with water. They were ceremonial washing basins that were used in the law. They were used to ceremonially cleanse yourself. So Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to transform these pots from what they were intended under the law, and I'm going to do something that's going to bring real life out of them. So what happens is, watch. Jesus says, fill them, but they fill them up, and he says, dip in, and they dip in. We don't know where the water turned to wine. We do know that when the servants made it to the other side of the stage, because it's part of the sermon. <laughs> when the master of the ceremonies tasted the wine, he said, wait, this is weird. Because what you usually do is serve the, the, uh, the, uh, the good wine first, and then the inferior when everybody's drunk. But he says, this is weird. Because... This wine 
is the best wine. Jesus, this is contrary to how I think life should be. Because a lot of people say, my best days are behind me. That man, I, I remember when God was doing this. I remember when God was doing that. I remember when I was young. And I remember when I was 25 and 35. God really moved. But now I'm 50 years old. I turned 50 this year. And now I'm 50. And, and you're, supposed to, you're supposed to say you don't look like it. And I turned 50 this year. Yeah. Thank you. And, and so, so, so I'm married. Thank you. Um, happily, by the way. But watch this now. I could actually... If I'm not careful, begin to believe the lie that the best years of my ministry are behind me. That's a lie. Because when we serve Jesus, he says, I save the best for last. I save the best for last. Come on in the back. I save the best for last. Right? Listen. Listen to this. Listen. So imagine if the servants would have said, no, I got to see, and then I'll go. They would have missed out on the greatest miracle. See, God doesn't need you to understand everything. Let me just tell you to you this way. I think understanding is overrated. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go there. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord. With all your, lean not on your own. In all your ways, in all of him, and he will. So why, Jethro, do you have to understand everything? No, I'm just going to go there. Well, I don't understand why they do that. I don't understand. Well, do you really understand when you're going 85 miles an hour on the freeway and you step on a little brake pedal? Do you understand all the hydraulics that happen and all the fluids that are moving and everything that's happening? And two brake pads are, are squeezing a rotor. And I don't understand all that. All I know is if I step on the brake, my life experience has told me it should stop. I know how the electricity works. I just know I just go to the switch and turn it on. I don't need to get deep theologically on this light switch. Well, let's talk about the light switch. I don't want to talk about the light switch. Because it's not about the light switch. It's about the light. Don't make me get Pentecostal. Where's the money, dear lady? Anyway, I'm just saying, just, just saying. When I was at Bishop Jakes' church, they were throwing money down. I'm like, yeah! Oh, you don't want it. No, no, no. You don't want me to get too crazy because, no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll wreck the place. I'll, I'll jack the place. I'll, I don't even know what you're Jesus is saying to you and me, all you have to do is just dip in. I don't know where it happened, but as they're walking, 
What's in your cup? Water. What's in your? Water. Aye, aye, let's keep walking. Hey, Juan, what Jose? I go white. I'll back it up and do a white version in just a moment. And I'll end with a black version. That's the one with the most soul. That's the one when I walk with swag. And here's what happens, right? Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. This always happens. You always get in the in-between zone. And you're not seeing anything. But you're just walking by a word that was given to you. Yeah. And if you live under new covenant, he just said to go, and then I'll see. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And they get to the guy, and he goes, what do you want? <laughs> you don't need perfect faith. You just need little faith. Wow. This is better than what we're going to drink tonight at dinner time. It's incredible. Listen to me. The miracle would have never happened if they lived under old covenant. So watch me as I land the plane. Jesus says to these ten, go and show yourself to the high priest. And the Bible says, as they went. You're, now, now, now we read this and, and we read it, but we understand that they had to literally go against their ingrained teaching and belief system. And, and maybe for a moment they said, wait a second, but we can't go and show ourselves to the priest unless we see a change. But Jesus is the change. All right, here we go. And as they went, they saw that they were healed. Mm. The Bible said that Jesus told them to go see the high priest. One of them says, I was healed. He turns around and he comes back to Jesus. Jesus looks and he says, were there not ten that were healed? Where are the other nine? Notice the other nine were the Jewish religious people. This man is outside of what we would consider, right, God's chosen people. He could have been a crack addict. He could have just been some, a woman or a man, excuse me, that was a prostitute. And he could have been some outcast that we would not want. He comes back to Jesus and Jesus says these words. He says, where are the other nine? Didn't that heal ten? Now, here's just my thought. Jesus knew before he healed them that only one would come back. So why would Jesus heal them? Because Jesus heals not based on your response. He heals based on who he is. 
Yeah. That's how awesome, come on somebody, Jesus is. Jesus looks at this man. He said, wait a second, time out. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the high priest. Yeah, yeah. Nine missed it, but one got it. Because that one was coming back to the ultimate high priest. Jesus is our high priest under the new covenant. And when we come back to him, he's our intercessor. He's our forgiver. He's our healer. He's our way maker. He is our encourager. He is our friend. Now watch, watch, I, I, I know, wow, watch. Listen, listen, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. This is so powerful. You guys give me two more minutes. You guys give me two more, you give me two more minutes? Okay. No, you can, you can, you can press the buttons with your foot and everything, but just, just don't start singing yet, okay? And so, y'all so good looking, man. I can't figure it out, just so. Because this man came back to the high priest. Jesus looks at him and he says these words. Go. Your faith in me has made you whole. Wait a second. He was healed before. Which means this. Under old covenant, you were declared healed from leprosy if the leprosy had stopped spreading. The Old Testament priest had no ability to heal you, only to declare healing. Jesus now does something that is revolutionary under the new covenant. He says, not only have I stopped the leprosy from spreading in your body, but now I'm declaring that that which was eaten away, at that moment, his fingers came back, his nose came back, his ears came back, Everything the leprosy had stolen, Jesus gave back to him again. Come on, somebody at C3. Come on, somebody. We have a God that says, go and you will see. Go and see. Go and see. Now watch. Stand your feet, everybody. Stand your feet, because I gotta close. Stand your feet. Stand your feet. Come on, stand your feet. Well, you don't know what's happened to me. I'm here to tell you that we serve a God that's a restorer. We have a God that just doesn't kind of rework you, kind of just put you back together. No, He says you're gonna become a new creation a new creation that literally now no matter what the enemy has done or your bad decisions have done that we have a God that says well I guess you're kind of handicapped the rest of your life I guess because you made that bad decision well that's about as far as you can go that's a lie from the devil because when you come to Jesus your great high priest he says no I will restore what the canker worm and the palmer worm have eaten I am a God that is a restorer of your life 
a restorer of your dreams. See, Stanley, I, I tell you, the more I dig into this new covenant and I more I behold Jesus and the more I think about Jesus and and I, and I begin to think about Jesus and and now my eyes are being opened so much more especially like when I read in the the the, the, uh, the sermon on the mount and Jesus says if your eye is good you you know it lets in light and your whole body is filled with light and then in verse 23 he says but if your eye is bad and if you think the light that you have is darkness how great is that darkness Holy Spirit revealed this. He's, he said this to him. He goes, he goes, Jesus, he's talking about how you perceive life. If you believe a lie, which is darkness, long enough, it becomes truth to you. And if you actually believe that's truth, even though it's dark, how great that darkness is in your life. Shh. Listen to me. The greatest power the enemy has is a lie. God doesn't want you. You've blown it. You've done this too much. Oh, you walk with God, then you backslid what you've done. Maybe, maybe he'll let you get to maybe this level. No. God says that I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to declare over you. And whatever the enemy has done to you, I'm about ready to reverse every curse and give you a brand new start.